And I want to draw your attention to the book of Acts chapter 20. The book of Acts chapter 20, we're going to read a small story in that chapter, uh, verses 6 through 12. Um, the last part of the book of Acts, um, especially the back half of the book of Acts, deals with the ministry of Paul and a lot of what Paul did. And this particular story that I'm going to read today deals again uh, with a part of his uh, ministry as given to us by the uh, writer Luke. The same gospel writer that wrote Luke is the author of Acts. And so Acts chapter 20, verse number 6 uh, I'll read it. I'm going to read it out of two translations. The first one I'm going to read it out of is the King, uh, King James Bible, but I'm going to come back and read it in a different translation that just brings more of a modern flavor to it. So bear with me just for a moment. We're going to read both. Acts chapter 20, verse number six says, and when the, and we, and we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Treos in five days where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together, and then set in the window a certain man by the name of Eutychus, being falling, fallen into a deep sleep. As Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep, fell down from the third loft, and was taken up dead. And Paul went down, fell on him, embracing him, said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life for life is in him. And when he came up, and when he therefore has come up again, he broke bread and eaten, talked a long while, even till break of day, and so he departed. And they brought the young man alive. Now let's read it again, but we're going to read it in a different translation. Acts chapter 20, out of the today's English version, says this. On Saturday evening, we gathered together for, for the fellowship meal. Paul spoke to the people and kept speaking until midnight since he was going to leave the next day. Many lamps were burning in the upstairs room where they were meeting. And a young man named Eutychus was sitting in the window. As Paul kept talking, Eutychus got sleepier and sleepier until he finally went sound asleep, fell from the third story to the ground. When they picked him up, he was dead. But Paul went down, threw himself on him, hugged him. Don't worry, he said. He's still alive. Notice this. It says he fell asleep and fell from the third floor. If you would take a snapshot of our current world, it, uh, it, it feels like on some days, based off what we hear and what we're seeing in news and what's happening around us, it feels like the sky is falling. Uh, it feels like in some ways our world has fallen into chaos. There is fallen around us. Politicians are falling even leaders are falling. People in church are falling. There is a lot of falling going on around us. Lives are being uncovered. What we thought we knew about someone, we're finding out that wasn't the real story. People that we held in high esteem, people that entertained us, people that were our, our leaders, we're finding when the cover is pulled off their lives that there was a lot of things going on and so we call it a fall from grace or the world is falling into chaos and there's a lot of falling going on um, and 
it feels like sometimes everything is falling. And maybe today it feels like everything in your life is falling. But can I tell you today that sometimes the way up is down? Sometimes the way up is down. Because we have a tendency in our narrative to only think of success or we only look at us of, of, of progress as upward. We're going up. We're moving up. But God doesn't always work that way. God doesn't always take us up first. In fact, in God's world, sometimes down is the way up. Let's look at it a couple of times. Jacob had to fall into a wrestling match in order to become known as Israel. Joseph had to fall into a pit in order to to arise to the palace. Even Jesus had to fall on his face in Gethsemane to come to the end of himself, to fall again on a cross to be crucified so that he could be resurrected and become our Lord, Savior, and King. Peter had to fall into denial so he could stand in forgiveness, confidence, and boldness. Paul had to fall on the road to Damascus so that he could be changed to become what God wanted him to be. We are looking at these examples and many others' examples because the Bible is full of constant narratives, one after the other, where we can see that some kind of falling or Let's call it this way, maybe not falling or necessary suffering. I'll just put it that way. And I know when I say suffering, half of you just broke out in a sweat because, oh, don't talk about suffering. It's not what we want to talk about. But if you look at the biblical stories, one after the other, some kind of falling, some kind of uh, necessary suffering is sort of programmed. I'm going to say it that way. It's programmed into life. It's a part of the it's a part of the program of life. And you know what? I gotta be honest with you. It's not that if failure and suffering might happen. It's not that it'll only happen to those that are the bad or the unrighteous or the people that you know are living their own life. And it's not as if that I can somehow do enough good deeds and say enough prayers and read my Bible enough or do whatever I need to do to somehow to to shield myself from it. It's not a question of if, it's just simply a question of when it will happen and when it will happen to me, period. When will I fall and when will suffering come? Because there is no way to navigate around it. There is some kind of falling and some kind of suffering programmed into this journey that we are on. In fact, Jesus even said it in, he said, in, in this world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. That word tribulation, it's falling or suffering. There's, it's built into this thing. It's programmed into this. If you look at it, I, I, I mentioned about six, but man, the Bible is just absolutely replete with just story after story of the same narrative. And even when they didn't fall, God made it appear as if they did fall. Mary didn't fall. When she conceived Jesus Christ, but it appeared that she did fall because everyone's saying, yeah, sure, you got an angel that showed up. Sure, you got pregnant by the Holy Ghost. Sure, we know how that is. Sure. Okay, Mary, where's the man? Okay, Mary. Okay, yeah, sure. Even when she didn't fall, she still appeared that she had fallen. So there's falling and suffering that's built into life. Call it losing. Call it uh, suffering, call it disappointment, 
falling, whatever you might say, all of these things become in somewhat a necessary, and I'm going to use this word that's probably going to sound contradictory, all of those things become a necessary and in somewhat a good part of the process. And they say, well, how in the world are all those things good? Well, it's because how you're looking at them may be wrong because you're not looking at those things from a biblical perspective. And in just a few moments, hopefully, with the help of the Lord, you'll see that there is. Because Paul says, I take pleasure, pleasure in my infirmities. Paul said that. Paul, the guy who fell on the road to Damascus, he said, I take pleasure in my infirmities. There's a a lie that's being told by even preachers today that somehow if you turn your life over to Jesus Christ, then somehow that should guarantee you a life free of suffering, a life free of pain, a life free of loss, a life free of disappointment, that you will have blessing upon blessing upon blessing and money upon money and money and money and money. And that's the way God makes it and that's the way God is. But the problem is, I look at constantly... Man and woman throughout Scripture, that's not the the tale. And the greatest writer of the New Testament, Paul, said, I take pleasure in my infirmities. Okay, Paul, what's your infirmities? They couldn't have been that bad, Paul. You You were one of the greatest Christians in the New Testament. You had to have a great life. Paul said, let me tell you about it. Well, I was shipwrecked. I was often hungry. I was cold. I was often hurting. Um, I got beaten, imprisoned, stoned to the point I was dead. Um, All these things happened to me, but I take pleasure in my infirmities. Wow. Wow. He said there were times I didn't even have a place to sleep. There were times I didn't even have clothes to put on my back. Paul wasn't wasn't uh, um, um, traveling around with pockets lined with cash staying in the in, in the five-star hotels of Rome and Athens. There were times he was sleeping on the ground. Why? Doesn't God love him? No. Paul understood that this was part of the process because Paul saw and did and understood things that we could only dream of partly because he had some things and understanding of some things that we try to avoid, but God's trying to bring us through. It's hard for us today because in a lot of ways, this sort of, uh, down, let's call it a down-up perspective. This down-up this down perspective so goes against especially our Western mindset. Especially for those of us who are watching today that live in America. We are, we are absolutely... Um, enticed by the American dream, the corporate ladder, the entrepreneurial journey where you can make something out of nothing with a little bit of hard work and some determination. And if you dedicate yourself, you can make something great. But I know some people that worked hard and I know some people that dedicated themselves, but it just didn't work out. I know people that tried everything they could, but instead of building a company, they went bankrupt. The American dream, in some ways, is a shadow. It's a it's it's a it's a fictitious. It, it's 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 a bumper sticker. It's a the, the American dream, in some ways, is a is an advertising slogan. 
I, I'm thankful today. I'm not saying that against our country. I'm thankful to be an American citizen. I'm thankful to be a part of this country where we can enjoy the freedom. Some of you are watching from other parts of the world today. You don't even get to share in those freedoms. You envy what we have. And we're very blessed because of that. But because of those freedoms and because of what we have, our standard and how we approach God is completely different because we don't like the down up. We like the up, 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 and further up, up and away, high, high, high. And ultimately in this, the demand for the perfect is the greatest enemy of the good. I'm going to say that again. I've got that highlighted today on my notes. The demand for the perfect is the enemy, is the greatest enemy of the good. What do I mean by that? Meaning the demand, the desire for a perfect life, the desire for a life without pain, without suffering, without disappointment, without loss. The demand, the desire, the, the craving for that life is the greatest enemy of the good because it's those things that God programmed into this thing called life. When God created life, he created life. Ecclesiastes, go read it. It says that for everything there's a a time and a season, a time to live and a time to die, a time to mourn and a time to rejoice, a time to eat, a time, there's all a time and a season. It's built into this, but our desire for perfection, our desire for a utopic existence, our desire for a Hollywood scripted life where everything goes and we ride off with our, with our, with our love, our, 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 our Prince Charming or our our, our Cinderella, we ride off into the sunset on a beautiful, uh, on a beautiful, uh, sunset night. That's what we want. That's what we feel like we deserve, but it's the greatest enemy of the good in our life because God doesn't work like that. You cannot find that kind of life in scripture. Now we've tried to, and I will say to, uh, um, I will be, be frank with you. I think some people have use certain scriptures to massage that into what they want. They've created that, that narrative that God, God only wants best for you. And it's, that means everything is going to turn out or it's going to turn good. If you're going through anything bad, you know, it's the devil or it's just, well, you're, but if, if God's on your side, everything's good. The Bible says that all things work together for good, not your good, but God's good. It works for the good. What good? My good. And you know what? Sometimes what I don't realize is good is good. You know, everybody grew up, most of us grew up not wanting to eat our vegetables and our parents told us to eat vegetables. Our mom or dad, whoever it was, said, you need to eat your vegetables. Why? Because they understood it was for our good. We didn't like it. We didn't want it. I remember one time in particular, I had a plate and I was trying, I, I just didn't like it. I forgot what it was. It was some food, some vegetable, some green thing. I don't know what it was. It was on my plate. And um, um, my my father said to me, son, before you get up off this table, you're going to eat all that. And I remember, I, I was probably nine, ten years old. I'm like, oh, I'm gagging. I'm like, literally, I, you would have thought if you're watching me, I, I was going, you needed to call 911. I mean, I'm absolutely just gagging. But he understood that was in that food was for my good. I didn't like, I didn't like it. If I'd have had my choice, I'd have probably been eating a whole stack of Chips Ahoy cookies for my dinner, a whole, a whole stack of Chips Ahoy cookies for my lunch, and I'd have probably had more cookies for breakfast because that's what I want. I wanted that. That's what I wanted, but that wasn't what, what was for my good. What is for your good is not what is you always want. 
what you always, let me say that better. What you always want is not always what's your, what's best for you. God wants what's best for you, even when it's something you don't want. Can't tell you, I, I, I'm be open and honest with you. There are times God's done something in my life that I'm like, are you kidding me? This is brutal. Are you, God, are you, are you, hello, do you not know what you're doing? I mean, there have been times where I'm like, God, huh, what is, what is up with this? Are you, have you lost it? I mean, I know you got 7.8 billion people in the world and I'm just one of 7.8 billion people and maybe I'm way down the list, but hey, come on, throw me a bone, something. But when I got through the other side, I realized, man, I didn't like it, but I needed it. I thought it was, it was, it was, it was rough, but it got me to where I am today. And to be honest with you, sometimes the richest lessons we learn are from the experiences that weren't as good when we went through them. Some of the greatest lessons and greatest things that have happened in my life came from the experiences that I did not like or enjoy when I went through them. And honestly, I'm not really, uh, I'm not really volunteering to go back through them, to be honest with you. If you ever stood uh, years ago, I had the opportunity when I was about 12 years old, we did a family trip and I've had a couple of times since then to go back. But it's one of the most amazing sights to stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon. It is absolutely one of the greatest natural features on this earth. I have seen some, I have not seen all of the beautiful nature that's out there, but I've seen my fair share. And very few things have ever been as awe-inspiring and as breathtaking as standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon to look at the vast the vastness of that canyon. It's not just the canyon. It is certainly the Grand Canyon. And originally, the Grand Canyon was owned by the Native Americans. And it was a place where they worshipped. They came and worshipped there at the Grand Canyon. And it was their belief that a meteor had fallen down out of the sky and calls crevice that ended up creating the canyon. That was sort of their belief system. And for years, this kind of thought process confused and confounded sort of the anthropologists that were studying the Indians on why in the world would the Indians uh, want to come and worship at a place that was so drastic and in some ways dangerous because something had fallen of that magnitude and uh, it all changed one day when, when someone from the tribe was asked, why do you worship here? And this was their response. They say, we worship here because had something not falling, something as beautiful as this would not have come out of it. So we worship at this place because of the beauty that came out of something that fell. One of the greatest signs of maturity in your walk with God is when you can trust God enough to worship Him after a fall because you have the expectation and the anticipation that rejoice not against me, O my enemies, for when I fall, I shall arrive. You're not worshiping 
the fall, but you're worshiping the fact that God is a God that is able to take something so ugly or maybe something so disappointing or something so hurtful or something so devastated and take something out of it. I have literally been absolutely awed and inspired by watching mothers and fathers lift up their hands and worship God after burying their child. I've watched spouses lift up their hands and worship God after burying their loved one. I have seen it time and time again. I'm sorry, forgive me, you've come too late to tell me anything else. When you are able to worship God in the middle of those greatest moments of hurt and the greatest of moments of disappointment, you're not doing that because it's a religion. If you're doing that with a sincerity, it's because you believe God, even though my heart is broken, even though my life seems shattered, I know that you are a God of the broken places. You're not just a God of the mountain, but you're the God of a valley. You're not just the God of the sunshine, but you're the God of a rain. You're not just the God of, of everything being perfect, but you're a God of the hurting and the disappointment and the broken. And when you can lift your hands up and give God praise, even in the midst of the most devastating and horrible and hurting and greatest disappointments and loss in your life, you're not worshiping the loss. You're not worshiping and giving credence to the hurt, but you're saying, I know that you are still God and that you're able to make something great out of something that has fallen. And out of these ashes, something beautiful is going to come. Praise God. The Bible says, for if you give me ashes, I'll give you beauty. Today, I'm telling you, you may look at your life and because of things that have happened or things that you're going through or things that you're going through or things that are happening in your life, you may say, how am I ever going to get past this? Or how is ever, anything ever going to come out of this? And how am I ever going to be able to move past this? But can I tell you, you see nothing but ashes. You may see only the remnant of something that used to be there and something that was once but maybe the fire of life and the fire of hurt the fire of pain have burned those things up and now all you see is ashes but Jesus said I don't want just give me your fullness I'll take your ashes God said I'll take your ashes I, I, I'm not even looking for all the perfection. I'm not, this whole thing where you gotta get good to come to God, friend, you don't get good to come to God. You get God because He is good. You don't come to God with your life perfect and say, God, I'm here today. I'm here today. I'm ready to worship you because all my life is perfect. Honey, you're never gonna get it right. You're never gonna get it all perfect. You can wait until the, till the perfect day. It will never happen. So come to God and say, just be honest with it. Say, God, I'm messed up. I'm broke. I'm busted, I'm disgusted, and God, I don't really have anything to offer you today but just this pile of ashes. But Lord, if you want ashes, I've got a plethora. I've got bags and bags and bags of ashes. I'll give you the ashes, and God will say, you know what? Deal, I'll take it. And in fact, not only will I take your ashes, but I'm going to give you something better back in return. I'm going to give you beauty. He said, give me your, your morning, and I'll give you joy, a garment of praise for your heaviness. It's amazing that if you give God something, even if it's if, even if it's something you consider to be busted and broken and messed up, God will say, thank you, I'll take it, because in return, I'm going to give you something greater than you can even imagine. Praise God. 
Somebody needs to hear what I'm saying today. I'm not just spitting words at you. I'm not just trying to pump you up, make you feel better. And say, well, you're just trying to make me feel. I'm not. I'm trying to tell you. We serve a big God that's able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we can ask or think if you would let him. If you'd let him. If you want to hold on to your ashes and you want to cry in your spilled milk and just sit there today and go, well, you know, my life is so bad. My situation, I'll never get free from it. I'll never get past this. It's so bad. You know what? You are correct. You are. I believe it was Henry Ford that said it. I can't remember. Whether you believe you can or can't, you're right. I mean, the exact quote, but I, it's close enough. I think it was Henry Ford. Someone said it. I think it was Ford. He said, "If you whether or not you believe you can or you can't, you're right. You know what? Whether you believe you're, it's the end or the beginning, you're right. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you believe this is it, you're over with, never again, I'm never, my life's over, it's terrible, I, I, I'm just, it's too gone, I'm too hurt, I'm too broken, my life, I'm, I'm, I'm in too much pain, I'm in this, it's over with, I'm done. Whether you believe that or you believe God, no matter what I see, no matter what I feel, I believe that you're a healer, I believe you're a deliverer, I believe you're able to do it even though I can't see it, I believe you're able to. Whether you believe either one of those, you're right. It's just a choice today what you're going to believe. I wonder, I wish, I wish I was somewhere today, cause I'd like, I'd like, I'd ask somebody that could just wave your hand. Maybe you can't wave it at me cause I can't see it. But is there anybody that could at least testify today that you've had something beautiful come out of something horrible? Is there anybody today that's had a beautiful place of healing that come out of a dark place of brokenness? Has anybody today ever felt the beautiful freedom of, of, of deliverance from God out of the most darkest places of bondage some i know somebody watching has been that because a lot of you that are watching i've been there when i've seen it happen you didn't like it it hurt i didn't understand it but when i saw god make something out of nothing out of something horrible it changed everything beauty for ugliness Beauty for ugliness, ashes for beauty. That's what God's able to do. So let's go back for a minute, if we can, to what the what the story said. It says Paul was Paul was meeting in this house, and uh, he was talking to a group of believers in this house. And the Bible says that he started talking, and he continued to go on and on. Uh, longer than he expected. And in fact, in the original language, the Bible in the New Testament was originally written in Greek. In the Greek, it actually, uh, the, the words used there connotate that he talked longer than he had intended. That meaning when he got there and he started talking, the Spirit of God shifted his intentions. He had his own agenda. The Bible said he had to leave the next day. He had to go on another journey. So what does that mean? He's going to go on another journey? He needed to get some sleep. He needed to get some rest. He had an intention of going into there, talking for a few minutes, sharing some things, getting back, finding a place to lay down, getting rest, and getting his journey. But the Bible says that he went on longer than he intended, meaning he got in one intention, but the Spirit of God changed it. Can I tell you this, that some of you got up this morning intending today to be a day like just every other day. Just another day, just another Sunday, let's turn on this guy sitting in his basement again for the last six months, let's watch and see what he has to ramble on about today. That was your intention, but you didn't realize 
Your intentions are changing because the Spirit of God has stepped into your room right now. The Spirit of God has stepped into the house you're watching in. The Spirit of God has stepped in your car, wherever you are. And God said, that was your intention. But if you'd listen to me today, I'll tell you about my intention. Your intention was to make this a day like every other day. But it was my intention that today would be a day that changed the rest of your life. Ooh, I feel fired up today trying to control myself because I'm fired up. Not because I'm excited, because I'm excited because I know God is wanting to do something great in somebody's life today. Today. Think about it. Some of you never intended to become one of those crazy Christians. You walked into wherever you first came in, whether you came into a church building or you came into a home or you met someone on the street. It was never your intention. You saw that and said, I'll never be like that. I'm never going back there. I'm never going to hang out with that group. You never intended to talk in tongues. You never intended to go down in that water in the name of Jesus. You never intended to be one of those people that danced and shouted and clapped your hands and worshiped God like those crazy people. But when God got a hold of you, the Spirit of God shifted your intentions. We need some more people where God can shift your intentions. So, let's go back. The Bible says that this is happening. All this is taking place. Paul's talking and talking and talking. And in this room was was a man by the name of Eutychus. Now, I find this to be interesting because there are so many characters in the Bible that are nameless. And we only know them by their condition. Go back in the Gospels. Think about it. We have the woman at the well. We have the blind man. We have the lame man. We have the deaf man. We have the, you know, the, the, the man that was dumb. We have all these things that are their labels of their condition, but we never know their name. We know not. We know some names, but sometimes we just know that person by their condition, not by their name. So I find it to be unique. And if you read Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 20, 21, there's a bunch of stories here. And it's what's interesting is, in some ways, this story that Luke puts in here have, has very few, has, has real, very little relevance in some ways if we look at it from a pulled back version. If we, if we pull back a little bit, it's like, what's the relevance of this story? But then you, when you see the fact that Luke had the had the impact of what happened that he actually knew this guy's name, Eutychus. There were thousands of believers at that time. By that time, there were thousands of believers all across that area of the world. I mean, we've got Ephesus, Corinth, Philippi, Colossus, all these different places where awesome stuff, Asia Minor was filled with churches. We have all these things where, where people, we don't know any of their names. We don't know any of what who they were. But this guy, we know his name. His name was Eutychus. And when Eutychus was in the room, the Bible says that after he was listening to Paul talk, that he got sleepier and sleepier to the fact that he fell asleep. Now, you, some of you have heard me tell this story, but it's worth telling again because it was so impactful in my life. I was a young man. I was 18 years old, and I had never, I was, I was still new in ministry at 18. Uh, I might have been 19. I might have been 19. 18, 19, potato, potato, uh, somewhere in that range. And um, I'd never 
been asked by any church to come and preach. So there was a church in Thompson, Connecticut that invited me to come and to preach. And so I was a nervous young preacher at that time. Um, I, half the time when I was preaching back then, I wouldn't even take my eyes up off the pulpit or whatever I was using because I was so nervous. I didn't even want to look up. I was so kind of just, I was just sort of gun shy. Um, I could not imagine if you'd have told me back then, I'd be sitting here staring at a camera. I'd have probably told you, no way I couldn't do it. But I was nervous. So um, I was I was in this church and um, uh, first time I'm, you know, I'm nervous, man. I'm just so overwhelmed, nervous. I'm just, my, my lips almost quivering. And so I finally uh, uh, was getting enough courage to be able to lift my head enough to see the people in the very first couple of rows. I wasn't, I could, I didn't really, I hadn't gotten to where I could look at everybody, but the first people, people in the first couple rows, well, there was this man that was there and it was a smaller place. It wasn't a very big, uh, room that we were in. Um, and so it felt very intimate. And so there was a man sitting probably about 10 feet away, right on the front row, right there staring. And as I began to preach and I was talking for a few moments, I could see it start to come on him. And I was 18, 19 at a time, and I was so nervous, I didn't know what to do, but I watched it, and he just, it started to come on him, and it started to get deeper, and it started to get deeper, and I mean, he's just fighting it, but it doesn't matter how much he fights it, man, it is just creeping up on him harder and harder, and next thing you know, the guy just, he just succumbs to it, he lets it happen, and he didn't just sit and slump. That would have been okay. I guess that would have been all right because at least people from behind may have thought, wow, that guy's really listening. He hasn't moved in the last 30 minutes. But unfortunately, that day, I wasn't blessed with a guy who did that because the, the fellow just, he just was overcome with sleep. Maybe I was preaching so good he just felt so much peace. I don't know. But he was so overcome with sleep that he just, uh, he just went <whistles> boom. And he fell asleep on the, on the front row in the front very part. Everybody knew it. Everybody saw it. You couldn't have hit it. And he just fell over. Just knocked out. Passed out. Completely. I don't even remember, I don't even remember looking back on that. I don't even remember anything that happened before or after that. I just remember that guy fell asleep. One of those things, I guess, he just, it's one of those great stories you get to tell, but it didn't feel so great when it happened. Because what happens is when you fall asleep, you become desensitized to the atmosphere around you. You, you become desensitized. You, when, you, when you fall asleep, you know, you, you, some of you have done this. A lot of us, I have done this. You're watching TV, you're watching a movie, you fall asleep. You become desensitized to the fact you don't know what's going on in the movie, you don't know what's going around you, you're completely asleep. You're you're passed out. You're asleep. Sleep, people doing stuff around you. Maybe, you know, stuff's happening. But because you're asleep, you're desensitized to it. But this is crazier. It's one thing to fall asleep watching a movie. It's one thing to fall asleep reading a book. It's one thing to fall asleep. I have a friend of mine, good friend of mine, that he, we were talking one time, and literally he fell asleep. And I was, uh, he, he's a little older than me, and and uh, I, was, I was staying at his house, and we were talking one night. And um, he's sitting there talking to me, and uh, he starts to nod. And in the middle of the sentence, he fell asleep. And I sat there waiting. 
I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I should get up. I wake him up. I was kind of nervous. I just sat there like 15, 20 minutes. In, I mean, literally 15, 20 minutes of staring at him. He's just, he's passed out. Finally, I realized his wife had come in and I said, is he asleep? She said, yeah, he's asleep. So I said, okay, I think I'll go to bed now too. He fell asleep right in the middle of that. It's one thing to fall asleep like that, but but Eutychus fell asleep in a place of worship. He fell asleep in the place of community. He fell asleep in a place where there was other people that were, were, were connecting and following and trying to grow in relationship with Jesus Christ. He falls asleep in this place of worship. So he's in this place of worship and falls asleep. One of my questions is, and I think Paul is an absolute one of the, I mean, come on, if you take Jesus out of the equation, let's take Jesus and put over here. Paul's got to be on your top three list of people in the Bible you want to meet, right? Come on, maybe top five, but he, he's got to be, I mean, he's got to be up there. What? What is 70% of the New Testament, something like that, is written by Paul. I mean, this guy literally was responsible for just insane amount of things. And he is just a few feet away. And this wasn't exactly like a huge room they were in. It had to be a small room. And Paul is talking. I mean, can you imagine? I, I, I you know, it's like I, people, I, I give my, I, 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 I give my right arm. People would say to go back and be able to sit there and listen to Paul. I mean, come on. What an amazing experience that must have been. And Paul is talking. And in fact, he's talking so good, he keeps going. He wasn't just rambling on. I mean, Paul, he's so, I mean, it's just coming out of him, flowing like this river of knowledge that he even keeps going and going and going. And even in that atmosphere, this guy starts falling asleep. So you know what that proves? Is that proves that the more he sat there, he wasn't engaging, he wasn't getting involved in understanding what God was doing. He was becoming more and more and more desensitized to what's going on around him. And he became more and more tuned out. And he got tired of things the way they were doing. He got tired of hearing Paul's voice ramble on to the point where he finally fell asleep. He finally turned everything off. The problem is, my friend, you don't wake up one day and go, where's God? Where'd God go? But I haven't felt God in forever. I haven't, I haven't felt his presence. I haven't felt his love. I, I haven't connected to Jesus in, 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 in forever. You don't wake up one day. You know what happens? You start to get desensitized to what God is doing. You start to get desensitized to God's spirit moving around you. You start to get desensitized to the still small voice. You start to tune out the knock at the door. I stand at the door and knock. Anyone that would open the door and, and allow me to come in, I will come in and be with you. You start to tune that out. You start to get free. If you're a parent, you know what that's like because parents have the ability to tune out your children. We do that, right? Because parents just want five minutes of peace and quiet. Just give me five minutes, five minutes of peace and quiet. And half the time you don't get there. And the more kids you have, the less likely that will happen. And so the only way to get peace and quiet is you've got to be able to turn it off. It's so funny sometimes. My wife, I'll listen sometimes how long it will take. My wife, 
it's just after a while, moms need a break. And you can hear my kids, mom, 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 and my wife is there, but she's kind of tuned it out, and she'll finally go, what, what, what? Sorry, what, 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 what? We've all done that. I've done that. Dad, 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 like, sorry, what, what? I didn't hear you. Because you get used to it. And so this guy started desensitizing himself to the atmosphere. Some of you, my friend, can I tell you, you started being desensitized to what God is doing in your life. You're starting to get desensitized. Can I stop for a minute and talk to those that are part of Antioch West? You're getting desensitized to life group. You're starting to get desensitized to Sunday morning. Another Sunday morning. Here comes Pastor Joel. Back on the screen again. Same place. Same time. That same sign. Same background. You're starting to get desensitized. And the more you do that in your, in your life, you're going... You're starting to tune out. Desensitize until the point where you're going to get so desensitized you're finally just going to turn it all off but you know what somewhere in this you've got to say i've got too much hell going on in my life to get desensitized i've got too much pain i've got too much heartache i've got too much hurt i've got too much disappointment i've got too many things happen in my life to afford to get desensitized to what's going on god whatever you've got to do wake me up up. I can't afford another Sunday. Some of you, you can't afford another Sunday. You can't afford another week of just going through the motions. You can't afford another day where you just so well, God's not talking, God's not here. But there's something in you today that says, I can't afford another day. There's too much hell going on in my life to just sit here another Sunday and go through the motions and watch him for an hour, ramble on and tune out and go off and do something else. Some of you, you may be doing that. You're still asleep. But there's somebody that's saying, uh-uh, uh-uh, I feel sleep coming on. It's like if you're driving and you feel that sleep, you do whatever you can. Start slapping your face. Turn on the air condition. Roll down the window. Hey, someone turn on the music. Sing. Do something. I'm falling asleep, but I can't afford to fall asleep behind the wheel because if I fall asleep behind the wheel, it's going to be bad. So whatever I've got to do, I've got to stay awake. Go get coffee. Five out of energy. A, a Red Bull, a Joe, whatever you need, get something because you need to stay awake because falling asleep is not an option. Woo! Some of you think I probably had a Red Bull this morning. I had a Jesus Bull. I drank some of that Jesus juice. Like, my God, he's fired up. What did he have this morning? I tell you what I had. I had some Jesus juice. Woo! Praise God. People falling, falling asleep, becoming desensitized. I'm watching it. It's breaking my heart. I'm watching people week after week become more and more desensitized to God. Well, it's just the way it is. It's usual. And tell me what, right now, it's hard. It's, it's a fight. That's why those of us that are connected to Jesus, we have to be connected to what we have. It is so desire that we can't afford to let people fall asleep in our midst. We can't afford to let people become desensitized. Why? Because you know why? I, my, my, uh, my wife tells the story. She went on a trip. She was, she was at the time, uh, she was working at uh, our church, and we had a school, and the school was going to take a, a trip out to Indiana to, com- 
to some competing into a national convention. And so she was one of the chaperones on that trip. And my brother happened to be the one driving the, the, uh, driving the van. Uh, and so they attempted, I think it was like a 15 hour, I think Illinois actually, it was like a 15 hour trip back home to Maryland, somewhere in that range. It might've been a little shorter than that. I can't remember. And so she said that my brother was driving. And if you know anything about my brother, my brother is very, he's a very stubborn man. Sometimes he's going to do it. My goodness gracious. Uh, David Wright's going to get it done. And so he was just determined to drive all the way through and not stop. So my wife was sitting like the row or the two behind the driver and she started noticing he's getting sleepy. And so she said, I couldn't afford to let him fall asleep. So I started asking him questions. Hey, David, how's your wife? Hey, David, how's your kids? Hey, David, what's your favorite color? Hey, David, what's your favorite food? Hey, David, where, you know, whatever it took to keep him awake because she knew he can't afford to fall asleep. I got to keep them awake. Can I tell you, somebody needs to pick up the phone and call somebody and say, look, I noticed you're starting to doze off, but I love you too much to let you fall asleep. Somebody needs to find somebody in your life group. Somebody needs to find somebody that's a friend that you've noticed. Man, they're becoming desensitized. They're starting to fall asleep. They're getting sleepier and sleepier. I can see their eyes getting heavy. You need to get on the phone. You need to go over to them, knock on their front door and say, I'm, why are you here? I've come here because I love you enough to not let you fall asleep but the Bible says Paul kept talking more and more the other thing the Bible tells us which is interesting it gives us a clue is that they had lamps in there obviously it was at night they had lamps and so there's there's a possibility that there was heat starting to generate you get a lot of bodies in a room you get the lamp fire going and all of a sudden it got hot and so there apparently Eutychus got hot didn't like the heat, and so he tried to find the window to get cooled off. A lot of people want things to continue as usual. A lot of people want things to continue like they are. They want things to become dull and boring because if they're dull and boring, they can stay like they are. But they don't want the heat of the Spirit of God turned up because when the heat of the Spirit of God's turned up, my friend, it's going to make you change. It's going to do something. It's going to cause change. So this heat started having to cause him change. He hangs out by the window. And finally, for whatever the period of time he fought it, finally he falls asleep. And I'm telling you right now, dangerous stuff happens when you fall asleep. Stuff you're not expecting to happen, happens when you fall asleep. Adam fell asleep, ended up and woke up to an Eve. Samson fell asleep and woke up bald. Jonah fell asleep and woke up in the belly of a fish. Dangerous things happen when you fall asleep. Dangerous things start to happen. Things you don't even know or not expect happens when you become desensitized to the things around you. Watch this. When he fell, the Bible says he fell three stories. You never fall asleep. You never become desensitized and wake up, wake up on the same level you started. You always fall. You never wake up on the same level you started. You never fall and stay at the same level you were. When you allow yourself to become desensitized, when you fall, you always end up at a lower level. You always fall to a place you weren't expecting. But here, you know what I mean? Can I tell somebody? Just because you 
have fallen doesn't mean you have to fail. Because there's a difference between falling and failing. I'm not here today to try to tell you that if you've fallen, it's the end. Because you know why? There's a difference between falling and failing. And you have to choose today, are you going to fall or are you going to fail? Because you know why? The devil tries to make every time we fall seem to be the greatest failure that's ever happened in the history of the world. He says things like, well, if everybody knew what you just did, boy, would they not know you're the worst person that's ever lived. Boy, if ever, if everybody knew or if someone ever find out the things that are going on in your head, if everyone ever find out the kind of person you really are, the thoughts you, you say or the things you think, boy, they wouldn't even let, I mean, they would hide their children from you because you're such a monster inside. Can I tell you that today? The devil is a liar. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Because I serve a God who's on the throne that can take the ashes of your life and create something beautiful. I wish somebody was here today to testify to that fact. That you fell, but you didn't fail. Rejoice not against me, O my enemies, and when I fall, I shall arise. But before we find out what Paul did, let's go back and figure out what he didn't do. When Paul discovered that the boy had fallen out of the window, he didn't go down and try to lament why it happened. He didn't go down and try to chastise the boy uh, uh, for falling. He didn't go down and play the blame game on why it happened. He saw that it happened. He recognized that it happened. But once he realized it happened, he refused to let it stay that way. Can I tell you somebody today, I haven't come to tell you you're a bad person. I haven't come to tell you you're wrong. I haven't come to say what's wrong with you. You've messed up. You sinner. You reprobate. I haven't come to tell you, but I've come to acknowledge it's happened. But I love you and Jesus loves you too much to now that it's happened to let you stay where you are without telling you that there's hope today. It doesn't have to end this well. The pen doesn't have to stop in writing. This could just be another chapter in your story. The best is yet to come. I've come to tell somebody that today because God is able to do it today. Yes, it happened. We acknowledge things have happened. We acknowledge hurt. We acknowledge pain. We acknowledge disappointment. We acknowledge the fact that things didn't work out the way you thought it was going to work out. But let's be honest. We acknowledge it, but now we've come to do something about it. I need people, you need people in your life that when they see things, they refuse to let those things stay. They acknowledge the fall in my life, but they love me enough to leave me in that condition. Paul saw the fact this boy fell asleep. Paul could even, I mean, come on, it's a small room. Paul could have looked over there and noticed that boy was falling asleep. He saw it. He could have said, hey, Eutychus, hey, uh, hey, uh, dude, you might want to get off that window. You're getting a little... Uh, you're getting a little, um, you're getting a little, 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 little dangerous over there. But for whatever reason, Paul didn't say anything. Eutychus fell. Paul didn't go down there and say, "Man, what?" Well, I mean, seriously, what happened? He didn't do any of that. He acknowledged it, but he loved the boy too much to leave him like that. I need people in my life that can see things that I can't see. That when I fall, they don't come beat me up. They don't come say, you, you are just a horrible person. What's wrong with you, Joel? Will you ever get anything right? But they see me and they love me enough to acknowledge my, my fallings. But they love me too much to leave me in the condition that they found me in. Paul acknowledged it, but he loved that boy too much to leave him.
in that condition. We have enough people that are are the are get that keyboard courage. You know what I'm talking about? Facebook posters, Instagram posters that are got the keyboard courage that can tell the world what's wrong. Can, can they can tell you what's wrong? They can get on there and post online telling you everything that's wrong with the world. We don't need more critics. We don't need more pundits. We don't need more people telling what's wrong. We need some people that say, you know what? Our world is messed up. There are some things going on, but you know what? I love you too much to leave you in the condition I found you in. Ooh, I wish somebody was saying amen. I know somebody's out there saying amen. But here's what happens. The Bible says he falls and the people say he's dead. They said he's dead. Who said he's dead? Well, apparently, the people that said he's dead were the same people that were on the ground. Be careful who's talking in your life. Be careful who's happened. Because when you fall, it's usually not the people from the higher level that speak. It's usually the people that are on the same level you fell to that want to be the one to declare, oh, you're like, yeah, it's dead. When you fall and you have a mistake, it's not the people that have that have that have a, a, a move past their mistake. It's the people that are still trying to wallow in their mistake or using their mistake as an excuse that want to say, yeah, you're finished. Yeah, you're done. Come on, the devil's made the greatest mistake in history, he got kicked out of heaven. Of course he's the one that's going to say to you, yeah, it's over, yeah, it's wrong, you're never going to be the same. Be careful who's saying to you, it's over. Be careful who's the one speaking that negativity. Because Paul came down and said he's alive. But the people that are on the same level, they said he's dead. I wrote this down. Everybody that speaks about you isn't authorized to speak over you. Everybody that has a word about you doesn't have the authority to speak a word into you. Be careful who you let talk over you. Be careful who you allow to talk in your life. Because if you're not careful, you're going to let people declare things over you that God never said. They're going to say you're finished. They're going to say it's over. But God's like, I never declared. I'm the one who says, and I'm the author and the finisher. So you might be, be might think today that it's over with. It's declared dead. But who's saying that? But notice this. What's crazy? They say he's dead. But how did they know he was dead? Because to me, what happened is he falls out the window. They see him crash. Boom. The dude's probably knocked out. He fell three stories. No doubt he's probably knocked out. But they never got down enough to hear his heartbeat. They never got down enough to feel a pulse. They never got enough to be invested in his life to know where he's at. They only wanted to judge by what they could see. They only wanted to sit back and say, yep, look, uh uh-huh, failure. Falling out the window. He's done. He's dead. They never got down and went, wow. Oh, I can hear a heartbeat. Oh, I can feel a pulse. Wait a minute. There's something left. Yes, he has fallen, but it's not over yet because I can feel there's still life. Because the Bible says when Paul comes down, the first thing Paul did, he got down and he embraced the boy. Whatever you think it was, I'm not sure Paul was just hugging him up. Paul got down on him and said, wait a minute. You say he's dead, but there's still life in there. Can I tell somebody today in the Holy Ghost? People are telling you they're dead because they're judging by what they can see in you. But I'm telling you today, the Holy Ghost is allowing me to get up on you today in your heart. I can hear the beating of your heart. I can feel the pulse. And I'm telling you today, they say you're dead, but God says you're alive. People are telling you you're dead, but God says you're alive. 
Paul goes down to that level and says, ha, you say dead, but God says alive. Somebody needs to speak that today. I'm telling you right now. Somebody needs to declare that today in your life. Somebody needs just to say that with confidence and boldness. You you might go, you know what, I don't feel that. Man, everything in your body may be screaming today. It's not the case. But somebody needs to say, you may be in your living room. You may be in your bedroom. You might be in your car. But somebody needs to speak it out loud. Say, I'm not dead. Say it. Oh, I don't know. That sounds kind of funny. According to your faith, so be it unto you. Tell them. Say, I'm not dead. You might get a look in the look. What? What are you talking about? What are you saying? No. No. Let your faith speak. No. I felt dead. People have told me it's dead. People say it's over. People have told me it's never going to happen. People have told me I've, I've made too many mistakes. I can never get it back. But I'm telling you today, I'm not dead. I may be knocked out. I may be knocked down. I may be not where I used to be. I may not be who I was or who God's called me to be. But I'm not dead. Because today God's telling me that I have fallen but I've not failed. Too many people we're looking at saying, ah, failure, failure, but all they do is fallen. Is there anybody in the body of Christ that can say, hey, wait a minute, I'm tired of listening to people declare that they're dead because I believe we serve a God who's able to reach down into any situation and take something filled with ashes and make it beauty. We fall down, but we get up. We fall down, we get up. Can I tell you somebody today, I hope you've heard what I've tried to say the last 45 minutes, 50 minutes. I know I've been a little passionate today and you kind of think, well, what's all this coming from? I'm passionate because I can feel God trying to resurrect something in somebody. God's trying to tell somebody, "You okay, you fell. I get it. You've fallen, but I'm not beating you up on the head. I haven't come today with a hammer to tell you you're wrong. You're, you're, you're failure. I'm sending you straight to hell. Don't pass. Go. Don't collect $200. You're going straight to hell, God saying, you've fallen, but I have not declared you're dead. Until I say you're dead, you're still living. Until I declare a thing to be a thing, no man can speak that thing. I am the one that holds the key to death, hell, and the grave. I'm the one that declares when something's finished. And I am God, and I'm telling you, you're not dead, you're alive. And I'm about to raise you up if you would let me. I'm about to take your ashes and give you beauty. I'm about to take your mourning and give you joy. I'm about to take your sorrow and give you peace if you'd let me. If you allow there and you listen to the chatter of the crowd saying, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead, boy, he's dead. How can someone fall out a window? What kind of crazy person is this? What kind of guy is this? I mean, what, a, what just an absolute, what, a, what kind of just, I mean, he fell asleep. What a, what a failure. You can listen to that crowd or you can hear the voice of Jesus telling you today, get up, get up, get up, get up. Get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. And you can say, Lord, I don't know how, I don't know what, but Lord, I'm confessing today that even though I've fallen, this is not the end of the story. Your grace is sufficient. Your blood flows from Calvary. You've forgiven me. And Father, today I declare I'm not dead. I'm not dead.
Greater is he that is in me. Greater is he that is in me. I'm not dead. I keep feeling that. I'm done. I'm trying to get off here. But I can't get past that. I'm not dead. Somebody, you need is a key. I know you're in your living room. I know you're in your bedroom. I know some of you are like, this is the craziest thing. That's okay. That's fine. I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking. Stay asleep. Sit on the, keep sitting on the window. Keep falling asleep. But there's somebody. Every time you say, I'm not dead, you're shaking off the cobwebs. Every time you say, I'm not dead, that depression's starting to release. Every time you say, I'm not dead, fear's starting to peel back. Say it, I'm not dead. And then say it, just, just drop the gauntlet. Say, I'm not dead in Jesus' name. I, it's not over in Jesus' name. I'm not finished in Jesus' name. This is not the end in Jesus' name. I will not stay like this in Jesus' name. This will not be the end of the story in Jesus' name. I will not let this failure, this, this fall define me in Jesus' name. I will not let this disappointment define me in Jesus' name. I will l- not let this hurt become my identity in Jesus' name. I will not let this bitterness keep me from finding God in Jesus' name. Speak it. Speak it. Speak it. And when you begin to speak it, I'm telling you, God is responding even right now in Jesus' name. I can feel it in my heart. I know God's doing it. Somebody you might be thinking, well, this is the crazy. You might have tuned me off. That's fine. That's okay. But somebody's going, yes, God. I woke up this morning and Lord, I didn't know if I was going to make it another day, but I thank you, Lord, for reminding me that it's not over. It's not finished. That God, you're still on the throne. And God, even though I have fallen, I'm not a failure. Even though I made mistakes, it's not what defines me because you are able. Your grace is sufficient. Your mercy is everlasting. And I thank you today, God, that you are able. I'm not dead. <laughs> praise God. Praise God. Somebody today, every once in a while, throughout the rest of the day, you just need to just stop what you're doing and just say, uh, I'm not dead. You need to tell your person in your house, I just want to let you know, um, today God told me I'm not dead. Every once in a while, you need to say, hey, hey, devil, listen, you've told me this long enough, but let me tell you something. Jesus said today, I'm not dead. You've said I'm dead, but I'm telling you today, Satan, God said I'm not dead. Declare what you want, say what you want, but just because you can speak it doesn't mean it have the authority to speak over me. You can speak about me, but you don't have the authority to speak over me because I have someone that is high above the highest, greater than the greatest. His name is above all names. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. That's the guy I God, God I serve. He's the one that has the authority to speak over my life. Praise God. Praise God. Father, I give you praise. I give you glory. I give you honor. I thank you, Father, for your spirit and your power and the demonstration of your, of your spirit that is flowing right now, even as we are praying. Wherever we are, God, I believe you're doing it in Jesus' name. Praise God. That's it. Just receive it right now. Come on. I feel somebody receiving God right now. You're receiving from God right now. The more you've been speaking it, it started off speaking it. Your brain was going, this is the dumbest thing ever. This is the craziest thing ever. Come on. You're losing your mind. You really are going to say what that guy tells you to say. He doesn't know your life. He doesn't know what you're going through. You're right. I don't know, but he does. And God told me to tell you to speak it. If you'd speak it, God will begin to do it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak it. I believe, therefore have I spoken. God's telling you today, speak it. I'm not dead in Jesus' 
name. I'm not dead in Jesus' name. I'm not dead in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.